0: So the reality is, I can't find a person of peace. That's one of of the uh, myths about DMM, is that you go in and you find the person of peace. I promise you, you can't find them. (laughs) What you have to do is live conspicuously spiritual lives, conspicuously prayerful lives. They find you.
1: Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. You have been listening to the CDM podcast, like, share, five-star, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, dot com slash faithworks, or click the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. I don't think we've talked about the point leading up to you finding your first five leaders. So in other words, like you coming to the area and first trying out, uh, first doing uh, your traditional method of raising people up. And I know that you had six people that you had started to disciple, then you got kicked out. And those people martyred. And then you spent time searching the scriptures to even cut, to to have the thing that you went and presented to those pastors, the 300 pastors. But I don't think we talked about really in depth about that time period and what happened. And, you know, uh, because I think it's part of the story and um, what led you to even try these different methods.
0: The process of the first six was actually a prayer process. That was about it. We, um, I realized very early on that I had to be working with the right people. And because it was basically clandestine missions, I had to work with people who understood the danger of what we were involved in and, and that we were, we were going to cross all boundaries to get to lost people. And and that was probably the biggest thing. The The start of the whole idea was, why do we stop at the borders where we cannot get visas? Mm-hmm. Why do we stop at the borders where there's political opposition or religious opposition? The, the Bible doesn't say go and make disciples of the people you can reach easily mm-hmm. through legal systems and borders and political systems and cultural systems. So we had to come back and start thinking about, okay, what does it look like to push the gospel or carry the gospel or fly the gospel into a place uh, where it is not legal or culturally acceptable yeah. to, to come in with the gospel? Now, the traditional means of doing that was primarily two. One was we would we would open up a lot of radio programs and Mm -hmm. we still do a lot of radio programs uh, to reach into these areas, but we shifted from preaching programs to social programs. Mm -hmm. One of the first changes we made is that we put in, these with the almanac for farmers i mean people needed to know when to plant when to harvest when you know how to deal with problems with their crops so we're looking at an agrarian society primarily agrarian society we decided that we would broadcast things in and then we would pray about those things on the air
1: mm, okay
0: and that was that was kind of uh, the part and parcel that that the that the radio programming became essential to the farmers who were the majority population, vast majority population, like 80 plus percent. Right. And, and, then, and then we would also include in that that we wanted to bless them that this would happen in their land and happen in their farms and, and go that direction. So the community service side went went beyond just an almanac to this is how if you have illnesses or wounds, we dealt with wound care, illness Mm. care. Uh, We dealt with um, what kind of medications you can use and safely treat just, you know, aspirin uh, and acetaminophen and normal things, how to deal with a cough. When was it time to go see a doctor, which many of them Mm. didn't have the money to see a doctor. So we started having clinics, and then and then they could come to those clinics. And these mobile clinics were moving around, and we would we would announce them, and people would come in, and we started meeting people. So at the mobile clinic, we had our clinicians, which were often volunteers from India, but also some from from outside of India, such as our pediatric pediatric endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was wonderful. I mean, he just. But he he was seeing three hundred plus patients a day,
1: yeah, I and then ask.
0: around this we had a registration desk, and then we had follow up people that were all trained as evangelists.
1: So so and and that leads me to the question of you've been saying we. So who's who's we? Who are you working with?
0: Well, those those first five leaders, ah, okay, and we established an organization called Asian Shanyogi Sanstad, which is uh, uh, Hindi for uh, Asian Partners International. Okay. And that was a Hong Kong organization that Hong Kong Christians helped me establish in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. so that we could funnel funding from Asia into the work in India, but also was a place for funneling other funds coming from other places in, into into the work in India, and, and so very quickly the 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 basic leadership was in place very fast and that leadership did not vary for the first 10 years i mean they were there they were solid they were working hard and they were and and then the at that point we started to say okay we need to we, we're seeing some people interested who are christians already but afraid mm-hmm. of doing anything so we began trying to touch into the christian budjpuri lives there weren't any christian butjpuri actually There were just Hindi or Bhojpuri-speaking people, but they did not culturally identify with Bhojpuri people. Mm-hmm. But they spoke the language, and they were near cultural. And through them, we began to to see things start very slowly to happen among among the Bhojpuri work. And so we started this 1989. It was not until 1991 we saw our first church. Mm-hmm. It was also 1991 when we saw our first. Uh, discovery Bible study that that I shared, I think I shared on, on the screen last time we talked. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I really think that, you know, it's important to note that you're working with near cultural people. I think sometimes a lot of people miss that. They they only want to deal with the people that are directly inside of there and they miss that they can be able to use near cultural partners to be able to make initial inroads.
0: Well, one of the, one of the interesting things that I've discovered is that uh, deeply rural people have very little political scene. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they're not, you come in with near cultural, they say, Oh, well, I've heard about you people, but don't know much about you. And you are go going, you're loving them. You're caring for them. You're helping them. And, uh, and so you're, you're getting past a lot of barriers because the language is, is not a barrier. Mm-hmm. Once you, if you don't have a language barrier, it's quickly to move to, to being a friend or being a culturally accepted outsider. Oh, okay. And and that's really mm-hmm. our goal. We want we want the gospel to be culturally accepted outside out from the outside, mm-hmm. and and from the very beginning we knew we had no scripture in the Bhojpuri. There was no, I mean, Bhojpuri was not a written language. Right. So we it was we it
1: knew. was forbidden, right? It was like a yeah, you know, it was, it was law for,
0: governmentally it. forbidden to be broadcast in or published in. So when that's we That's a way
1: to subjugate a people,
0: isn't it? <laughs> it's very definitely a way to subjugate a people and keep them from having any kind of power in government, even though the, the top diplomats in the government were from land.
1: So you just said that you were doing a radio program. Were you, were you doing it at Uh
0: Not to begin with, no. It okay. was done in Hindi.
1: Okay, so but, but, you started in Hindi, but there was a law that said you couldn't do it at So how did you... How did that transition into doing it at Butch Prairie
0: happen? We published from, we, we began to broadcast from outside the country.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And, and we actually looked at buying a radio station in, in the Soviet Union. It's one of the most powerful radio stations in the world. And they wouldn't sell it to us. But it was for sale, but they wouldn't sell it to us. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so we, we looked at a lot of different ways. We went to micro, micro FM stations where we could set up FM stations where we needed to set up FM stations mm. and then move them around. If they're discovered, that's that sort of thing.
1: So you had people uh, on the ground that said that they were connected with this outside radio source. So nope. so they, then they how, how did you use then the radio program to draw people?
0: Well, the radio program was, was informational Mm-hmm. And and just and we just wanted to create goodwill for, for anyone who came in. And it was identified. I mean, people knew who, who the radio broadcast was coming from. Okay. So they, it was identifiable. But uh, as far as personnel go, we were very strict about our personnel going in and face-to-face meeting people. We, we wanted highly trained people doing that and understanding the, the danger of doing that. And after we had people martyred, that, that danger became very apparent. And people with fear are not going to be able to work in these environments. Right. Or, right. or maybe I should say unbridled fear. There's always a fear factor when you, you know, when, a, when a crowd gets around you or you find out you've been standing next to a bomb for the last 35 minutes and it hasn't gone off. That makes you, that makes you rethink things.
1: Definitely. So you did have some people, though, that went in and, you know, was able to work with them. So how did you connect the radio program with what you were doing on the ground?
0: We, we pretty much kept everything compartmentalized.
1: Okay. So what was so the, the people on the ground? The will say, have, you, have you heard
0: this on the radio station?
1: Oh, okay. So they just so they would refer to it.
0: Yeah, they would refer to it.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: And, and sometimes they would recognize the voice because some of the people that were doing it were also the voices on the radio station. Mm. but uh, the radio station was not big in the beginning, but it came much more apart as, as we continued looking and, and working on it. Now, Puri's broadcast, there's Puri movies, there's Puri newspapers, all kinds of things. And the law hasn't been changed yet, but it's all going on. And uh, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm a, a, a PNV <laughs> or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Prasanna non in, in India. Matter oh, of fact, they, right. they have a, the last I heard they had a warrant out from my arrest, but. Uh, well, they, it's not
1: even just because of these radio programs, because you actually eventually helped, you know, with oh, getting the word for them.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we've published the Bible. We've, we've published a lot of training materials. We've, um, and we've seen, you know, right now, the, the last count that I had was over 80,000 churches. That was in 2003. That was the last official count we had was in 2003. So we're already almost 20 years past that point. And some people are saying there's a quarter of a million churches. We, we really don't know. It's a large number. Mm-hmm. We do know that uh, if you look at any of the flags where the gospel is, where they, they color, color code the, the map showing where the gospel is, the Bojpuri District is now considered a Christianized area.
1: Well, so going back to, you said that you started setting up some clinics along the area and started, you know, helping people out in that way. So what, what came after that? Do you remember uh, any specific stories or something about how those engagements were happening during that time?
0: Yeah, we, you know, the, the, India is a very needy place. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the in the deep rural areas, when you when you start looking at that only like one one and a half or two percent of people live within a kilometer of a paved road, that means everybody else is away from a paved road. And then we start looking at numbers of eight to ten percent live along rivers that there are no paved roads anywhere near those rivers. So you have you have a huge population of people that live and have lived the same way for over 400 years, without electricity, without... You know, so, so one of the first things we did, talk about radio broadcasts, pre-radio broadcasts was getting video, not video, not uh, audio cassettes in, mm-hmm. literally cassettes mm-hmm. uh, with a scripture on it. And it was entertainment in these villages. They put those cassettes on because uh, it was a dramatic Bible. It was reading, but it also had sounds and all kinds of things involved mm-hmm. with it. So uh, when there was thunder, you know, and you'd hear thunder on the video, and when God spoke with thunder, so the so those were those were very popular. People people loved to to uh, sit around those video those audio tapes at night and listen to it until we until we actually started things like a Mega Voice, which were a little self-contained units for personal use. But really, the social side of, of the broadcast was good. The other interesting part is that Jesus' film always resulted in riots. Really? Because people got mad the, at Jesus being crucified. Oh, wow. Because they just watched his life and what he was doing, and we'd get to the, the passion, and, and they would often riot at that point.
1: So why would you think that they would write at that point? But when they're because going they were through Discovery Bible, the so, no, I know. But I mean, the sense of that—why would they do it with the video, but not with, you know, when they start reading it with Discovery Bible study?
0: Well, the Discovery Bible study—they're learning the scripture as they're moving through it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In a video, it's all dumped on them in a three-three hour period,
1: uh, and
0: mm-hmm. so it had it had a, a lot of impact. But, but almost, we, we had uh, guys that had to abandon equipment and everything because the riot got so bad. So we lose our sound system, our, our, our projector, and, 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 and the films, which were very, very expensive.
1: But now people, if they're going through yeah. Discovery Bible study, they're like, this, there was a reason for this. Like, they're able to see, you know, the prophecy and everything coming up to mm-hmm. that time.
0: Yeah, we start in the Old Testament, and we show that God had a plan all the way through since mm. since the creation of man. There's been a plan for how men relate to God, which and is important
1: whenever you're dealing with anybody to give that background. Whether it's because they get too angry, <laughs> or whether maybe it's they just don't understand the significance of these things, it's it's giving that background really helps. So I know that a lot of principal discovery of Bible studies to get them dependent upon the Word. And, and able to get these things, their nourishment and things from the word directly. Do you feel like the, how does that coincide with them watching films and things like that to be able to, um, to get their training and stuff from that?
0: Well, well first of all, <clears throat> you, you have to get people into a crowd before you can actually see the church emerge. Uh, individuals all over the place, you don't see the church emerge. We can look at the Middle East and see that over and over again, even today. And much of our work now is in the Middle East, and where we're starting to see people come together around some kind of event or some kind of story or some kind of information, or sometimes it's just a very charismatic person who draws people. So at, at, at the beginning, to see church emerge, it can't be a bunch of individuals who are scattered. Mm-hmm. It has to be a group of people. So our target, and, and Jesus' target, whether you're looking at in Matthew 10, Luke 9, Luke 10, the, the, the minimum unit of evangelization was a village.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not a family, not an individual, but how do you evangelize a village? Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave some pretty good instructions about your preparation and prayer, about how you access those villages, the message you have, the kingdom of God is near, that's your message, Mm -hmm. and and understanding what the kingdom of God is, and what it's near, and what happens if you miss it. Mm -hmm. So those are the the principles that are behind that initial contact. Once a church emerges, you have a whole different set of things you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the pastor. You've got uh, every church has to have a pastor. So we had to establish training programs for pastors and they and that that program became our most overloaded program very, very quickly. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> you think, uh, okay, we've planted two thousand churches this year. That's two thousand leaders that have to be trained, right? Well, if you look at all the seminaries running in the world, you couldn't put those two thousand people in those seminaries. they would be overrun. Mm-hmm. second problem you have that those two thousand people, churches and their pastors were non-literate.
1: Mm-hmm. right they, did,
0: they They didn't think they they were oral peoples, okay, that's and we important had to train, train yeah. them through oral methods. So that means face to face. and because oral method requires dialogue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you You can put all the videos you want up. first of all, in very primitive peoples, they can't see a photograph. They look at the paper. They don't see it as a photograph. They don't. They can't recognize anything in it. Mm-hmm. And so, part of part, and then that's the most primitive. Now, now, a lot of people, because of posters and things like that, have learned how to see two-dimensional stuff. But, but still, as an oral person, they can't dialogue with paper. They can't mm-hmm. dialogue with a video. Mm-hmm. So it takes a, a person there, that is presenting material dialoguing that material and moving forward and and it's it's presented orally we don't we don't go into those meetings with paper at all we don't Mm -hmm. have pens in our pockets we don't have paper in our briefcases we go in and, and and we go in with this is what our message is today it's been practiced it's been trained and they're ready to sit down and quote the scripture and get back and forth with people till they understand the scripture and then go to column two, how do you describe this to other people? So mm-hmm. we can quote the Scripture. Now, how do we describe what's happening in the Scripture? What's the story mm-hmm. that's coming out of this? And then after we, after we quote it and we can describe it, how do we obey it? And, mm-hmm. and part of the obedience comes back to the messenger had to bring the information. And so a messenger has brought you information, it's your responsibility to spread this information to other people, and that's how the system grew. And, and literally, when we had when we had our annual meetings, we didn't know how many people would show up because it 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 would verbally just spread, orally spread mm-hmm. a, around the entire community. And out of that, we would see sometimes thousands of people we didn't expect show up.
1: Well, you set up the system meeting. with which it would spread. Because and as a part of the system, you're supposed to share it with other people.
0: Certainly. But you don't expect them to walk for 20 days to get to the meeting. <laughs> and then walk back home after the meeting.
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: So these are people that are so poor, they can't get on a train. Mm-hmm. So they walk. They walk mm-hmm. everywhere. And they think nothing about walking for 20 days. And, and coming to a meeting. Or you're going to be in an area and they'll sit in a railway station for two weeks because they don't know really what the calendar is, but they know during this time period, I, I, I or one of our workers is going to show up and they would literally sit in the train station until we set off, stepped off. And then they mobbed you. <laughs> Everybody wants to touch you when you, when you get off the train. And, and, uh, and that was, that was just part of part and parcel of my life for many years is when i would go to india and stay for two months which was about the most i could stay at a time i was i was literally going to to hundreds of places to do trainings with translators because my i mean my basic bhojpuri was was extremely poor at best because i didn't live there couldn't use it all the time my hindi wasn't much better though i, I it was some better i could get around in hindi <laughs> and some would say my english wasn't any good either cuz i had a texas accent but <laughs> but it, it you know it, it doesn't it, it doesn't matter it's not me communicating it's the holy spirit
1: and and the whole system is set up to where it, it's dependent upon that primarily and not upon you
0: and and the thing that i had to do was was learn the problems personally and then from there I knew how to set up the training program to deal with the problems that I saw in the field. But then I had to also have a feedback system from our, from our field workers that came up to these, these five initial work, workers, and then they would tell me the problems they were facing. And then we would we would brainstorm how to how to address those problems. And and the problems change. When, you, when you're just trying to get the gospel into places, that's one set of problems. When you have new believers, now you have a different set of problems. And now you have an emerging church, you have another set of problems. Mm -hmm. And now you have an emerging church that wants to replicate, you've got another set of problems. And now you have a group of churches that come together, identify as a group, and they want to replicate another set of problems. Then you have a group of churches that come together and say, hey, you know, why don't we send someone to South America? Literally that happened. We Mm -hmm. We had a couple came and said, God is calling us to Suriname. Mm-hmm. And we worked out getting them to Suriname. And they started a boatload of churches in Suriname. I mean, so, and, this
1: is, and this is why it's a good thing that it takes years for all of this to develop because you have to get through using all the problems. So people don't know what they're wanting when they want movement in a short shot. I mean, it's, they don't realize that you have to go through all this setup and work and, and problems to solve and everything all along the way.
0: Well, and you start using things that are would sound strange to Americans. For instance, we opened a school for boys only because you can't have girls and boys in the same schools in India. It's just not going to work. But, but we would go to villages and say, select your top five young men who are smart, and let us have them for three years, and we'll we'll give them back to you as teachers. And often they would came to us illiterate, but in three years we could teach them to read and write and do math and do the basic things and go home and teach it. But also in that three-year period, they'd become followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that not only when they went back to their villages, they were totally accepted because they were sons of the village. And then as they taught in the school that they set up, they included teaching the Bible because they had been taught the Bible every day they had been in school when they came to us for education. Mm -hmm. so one one place there's there's one road we went down we started up we started a school every five kilometers down Mm -hmm. one highway in india and the reason for that was that's about how far people would walk to get to something on that highway because it was close so you know had a kilometer or so around the village around that school then up and down the highway they'd go two and a half three kilometers out and people would be coming to the school the better the school was, the further people would come to it. So we had some schools that were so good that people were, were driving hours that we had to open dorms then for schools. So we started building dorms so that we had residential schools all, all, during the week, but they would go home on the weekend. Or in some cases, their parents would come and stay with them in the dorm on the weekends and have better food than if they went home.
1: Which is great because now you can reach the whole family instead of just the Yeah, uh, the, the, tar-
0: the target of everything we did was family. Mm-hmm. Everything. And, and uh, I, I said, you know, the, one, of, one of the strategies of Satan, in my opinion, is to get Christians to win one person and lose the other 10 people in the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there is a universal crime that is hated by every culture, and that's kidnapping. I wow. mean, people will, tolerate, people will tolerate murder and not tolerate kidnapping in almost every culture. Well, Christianity is operated almost as a kidnapping culture. We go in, grab a young person, lead them to Christ, and then forget about the family. They would go home and try to try to transmit what they'd learned, and they get beaten up. They get sometimes they got killed. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know just things would happen. So we learned to say, okay, look, you're going to be learning things here. We want you to talk to your family about it. So whatever they were learning, whatever Bible verses they were dealing with, we encouraged them from the very beginning to share them with their families, and our schools were unapologetically Christian. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So we didn't. Uh, so that was just a totally out in the open. But we couldn't preach the gospel. We could teach kids, and part of the curriculum was teaching the Bible. And so we would teach the kids how to go home and have a conversation with their parents about what they were learning at school. Did
1: you use the discovery process yes. as, as a part of this whole thing?
0: We use we use discovery process for everything we taught.
1: So I know that a lot of times it's difficult to mix um, you know people that come for for something in particular like food or education and then the discovery process because they're not necessarily signing up to the discovery process. Did it still work? Did they still really want to to know God, or was there a time in which you really kind of leaned into discipleship with them when they seemed to really want it themselves? Or how did that work?
0: No, it, it's it's learning about God. Mm-hmm. That that's that's what we were doing. So, okay, we're gonna part of our curriculum is is the Bible, and it's mm-hmm. where you will learn about about God. Mm-hmm. And, and they're okay with that. Almost every culture is okay with that because you're not trying to convert them and trying to change them. It's like me learning about Islam or learning about Jainism or learning mm-hmm. about Hinduism or Buddhism. I learn it as a course. I don't learn it as a faith. Mm-hmm. So we approached it. Let's learn it as a, as a course mm-hmm. to understand the Christians in India around you, but also in that process, we understand that the Holy Spirit inhabits his word and people who read his word. And, and even if they're studying it secularly, the Holy Spirit is going to start touching their lives. And we encourage everyone to always discuss what was going on with their family and friends. Mm-hmm. Did you still call them
1: learning. to acts of obedience on those things then still?
0: or Sure. We'd say, you know, if, if this is from God, what do you have to do mm. that that? That question, if this mm. is from God, what do you have to do? So that made it an acceptable, and well, we don't believe this is from God. That's okay, but if it is from God, what would you have to do? Mm. So putting putting in the speculative into that or the conditional clause into that, if this is from God, condition, mm-hmm. what do you have to do? And that's that would get them a conversation then about how to obey this. And, and you would watch people start crying. People start reacting emotionally. And when and when emotion is being impacted, you know there's an internal struggle going on.
1: Right, right.
0: And, and we would just say, you know, this this is the realm of the Holy Spirit working. That's his job. That's not our job. I mean, we, we took John 6, uh, 43 to 45 very seriously. God draws people to Christ, not us. See, we we think of this whole thing of missions as as being some sort of uh, incarnational movement that we are the incarnation. That's mm-hmm. not true. I can't save anyone. Right,
1: right.
0: I can't cause anyone to come to Christ. That's the that's God's job, and that's Christ's job. And and he goes on to say, our job is to get them to listen and learn from God. Mm-hmm. Because he says it superlative, everyone who listens and learns from God will come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Think about that. If everyone who listens and learns from God will come to Christ, my job is to get them into an environment where they can listen and learn from God.
1: Right. And, and, and I'm guessing that, in the, that as they went out and shared with their families that you were able to, to start Discovery Bible studies with those families now and that spread out.
0: Well, I don't want to put too much emphasis on any one method. At any given time, we had hundreds of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the reality. So I can talk quickly about schools, but how do you talk about agricultural programs that led to Bible studies? Right, right. How do you talk about setting up a market that leads to Bible studies or setting up a, a uh, dispensary of medications? That leads to Bible studies. Well, let's, setting let's talk up... about
1: that. You had your clinics and stuff. How did how were you able to bridge the clinics and stuff and dispensing of medication into well
0: the, the first thing we said to people as as they were becoming churches that they they needed to to set aside a portion of their of their income whether that's chickens or eggs or whatever it might be sometimes crabs caught in the river they would bring those things and and then we would sell them in the market, which were actually a Sunday market emerged out of all the churches that were bringing stuff in. And they began to ask the question, what do we do with this money? Mm-hmm. And, and of course the, the, the first thing is there's always selfish people say, well, we keep it. And I said, no, Christ gave his life. Why don't we set up, why don't we set up dispensaries? And so Many of the churches set up dispensaries. Then the building issue would come. There's always a building issue when you get 100 or so people. They want a building. Matter of fact, we get 50 plus. They want a building. Was hey, fine. We don't build churches. We build community centers. Yeah. And we would build a community center. In it, we would put a dispensary. Often, mm-hmm. and also anyone could use the building. They just had to get on the list to use the building. And the church had the building on Sundays. Gotcha. And what what we didn't publish a lot about was that we had to do a lot of cleansing prayer before we went in because we had Hindus and Muslims and Jains and, and all mm-hmm. kinds of people coming and doing things in that building, weddings and worships and everything. Right. But it that was seen as a community building. And because we paid and then we take all the proceeds to maintain the building. Mm-hmm. Now, particularly if we had air conditioning in it or something like that. It took a lot of money. Air conditioning is expensive. But but we would take the proceeds and maintain that building in good repair. And I said, I I don't want to see any of our buildings anywhere that look that don't look new all the time.
1: Right. You wanted to to you want to have a good testimony of upkeep and things like that.
0: I said if it's fixed, you see it's broken, fix it now. Don't fix it tomorrow. Fix it now. Mm-hmm. If it needs paint, paint it today. don't paint it tomorrow, paint it today. and we just we just emphasize that that the upkeep on the building was important not only for the church but for the community. but if you're if they're paying to use the facility, we had the money to to maintain it because of the funding from using the facility.
1: so how did that connect that you know so they're using the facility, there's medicines being dispensed, perhaps there, and things like that. so how did that connect with being able to start, you know, discipling them and things like
0: that? Well, you're, you're working with people and, and it's the same process. It doesn't matter whether you're in the city or in a village. Uh, as, as an evangelist, my job is to get to know people. Mm-hmm. And and my prayer is that, that God would show me the person of peace. Well, so the reality is I can't find a person of peace. That's one, of, that's one of the uh, myths about DMM is that you go in and you find the person piece. peace. I promise you, you can't find them. <laughs> what you have to do is live conspicuously spiritual lives, conspicuously prayerful lives. They find you.
1: Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at
0: contagiousdisciplemaking.com.